The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. Sometimes I think if I'd met Jay Gatsby later, say after Daddy and Rose's accident, I wouldn't have even noticed him at all. I think how everything, how the whole entire course of my life and his might have turned out differently. Jay came into my life at a moment when I still believed that anything was possible. The war and death were somewhere so far away, out of my reach, that they might as well have not existed at all. I had everything, and it never occurred to me that I could lose it all, just like that. It sounds silly to say it now, to remember how I was, to remember that careless, carefree girl. It sounds silly to say that Jay and I lived and died by chance, haphazard timing, that our paths crossed at the right time, in the right place, or maybe it was the wrong time, the wrong place. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Julian Cantor is the internationally best-selling author of 11 novels, including In Another Time, The Hours Count, Margot and The Lost Letter. Today I'm talking to Julian Cantor about her new novel, Beautiful Little Fools. Julian, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for having me. F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby is the reference point for Beautiful Little Fools, and that immediately prompts the question, What's your own relationship with The Great Gatsby? Are you a Gatsby fan? Yes, I am a huge Gatsby fan. Um, I read it for the first time in high school, and it was one of the first books that I was assigned to read that I just truly loved. And I think I've probably read it again every year or so ever since. I kept my copy from college when I read it in college, and I would always come back to it. And it was just one of those stories that always has drawn me in, both as a reader and a writer. And I feel like I learn something every time I reread it. After nearly a century, is it still relevant? Does it still justify its place in the American canon? I mean, what's interesting is when it first came out, it was not successful. It was even not until after F. Scott Fitzgerald's death, you know, so even he died thinking that it was a failure. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's relevant probably as much as any classic is still relevant. It, it's a slice of history, a piece of time. What I always loved about it was that the writing is really beautiful, but the plot is really intriguing. It's very melodramatic and there's, you know, murders and affairs, but then every sentence in the book is also just beautiful and lovely to read. And so I think, I think it's held up over time because of those things. Beautiful Little Fools, in a sense, sidelines Jay Gatsby in favour of three women uh, within the Gatsby circle. And it's through the eyes of these women that we get an alternative view of this time, of this place and the events in The Great Gatsby. Tell me about these three women and why you decided to use them as the vehicle for telling this story. Sure. So my novel, Beautiful Little Fools, reimagines the world of The Great Gatsby, but it takes place before, during, and after the original. And it's from the points of view of Daisy Buchanan, uh, Jordan Baker, and Catherine, who is Myrtle Wilson's sister. You know, and I've always felt that the women are such a huge part of the plot in the original. Everything that happens is because of the women, but they barely say anything. They don't have a voice and we don't know very much about them. So I've always wanted to know more about them and Beautiful Little Fools, writing Beautiful Little Fools, I mean, was sort of my way to explore that. 
you know, why I chose those particular characters, you know, Daisy and Jordan are, are sort of very front and center female characters in the original. And Catherine, Myrtle's sister, I think appears twice in the original. She gets two small little parts in two scenes. And Myrtle obviously is a big part of the plot, but I wanted someone to be able to tell that side of the story who I could have a little more leeway to play around with. In the same way that Nick Carraway is the narrator for The Great Gatsby, you mm. allow uh, the other characters, especially these three women, uh, to carry the story, to narrate the story. How did you arrive at that as a storytelling device? Well, Nick has always fascinated me in the original because he's such an outsider and he's sort of narrating everything from outside this world. And also he's so enamored with Gatsby that I've always felt that his perspective of Gatsby is somewhat skewed because of that. So I'm narrating it, I guess, more from within the story and from the, the female gaze. Mine's definitely a more feminist reimagining of this world. I always felt that Daisy would have a different perspective on um, Gatsby moving across the sound from her than Nick would. You know, Nick sees it as romantic, but it feels kind of like a stalker thing to me when you think about it as, you know, just as a woman. And so I always thought, well, Daisy might not see this the way that Nick is portraying it in the original. Did you simply look to The Great Gatsby for the inspiration for developing these characters, or did you want to or have to look elsewhere to find, uh, I guess, to flesh out these characters? No, it's pretty much all The Great Gatsby. You know, I did do some research about the time period, you know, and, and the places where they went. But F. Scott Fitzgerald sets out this sort of five-year history for the characters. Most of it happens in a few sentences in the book, but he tells you where everyone is from 1917 through 1922. Uh, so I took those little bits and I ran with them in my story. They were liars, every one of them. The more Frank dug into their stories, the more he could pull them apart, thread by thread. It reminded him of the way Dolores would undo a sewing stitch, and suddenly an entire hem unraveled. It was Nick Carraway whose version of the truth he trusted the most, and not as Dolores had chided him, because Nick is a man, but because Nick was the only one he'd talked to who genuinely seemed broken up about Jay Gatsby's death. They'd been neighbors, friends, it was fair to say Nick had even idolized Mr. Gatsby and that his murder had left Nick a little flattened. Then there was the thing that Nick had said about Daisy being dead inside. Frank couldn't stop turning that over and over in his head. It sent him down to Lower Manhattan at lunchtime last week, waiting for Nick to walk out of his office so he could chat with him again. What do you want? Nick had asked abruptly when he'd spied Frank standing out on the sidewalk in front of Probity Trust, smoking a cigarette. Nick gave Frank a wary look, shivered, and pulled his overcoat tighter around him. The air had turned suddenly, and that sweltering heat of August a month ago when Jay Gatsby was bloodless and floating in a pool almost felt like nothing more than a dream. For all the similarities to The Great Gatsby uh, and its foundation in that book, you've also created an entirely new novel, something that is, I guess, more akin to crime fiction, uh, you introduced an entirely new character too, Detective Frank Charles. Was that always part of your thinking for this book, a kind of cold case, if you like? Yeah, it was actually. You know, when I realized I was going to retell it, I wanted to retell it as a murder mystery because I thought, you know, in the original novel, I, I 
keep saying this and hopefully it's not a spoiler to say that in the original Jay Gatsby dies, but hopefully everyone has knows about the great Gatsby by now. <laughs> um, and in the original, it's just kind of a quickly closed case, murder, suicide, Myrtle's husband and Jay Gatsby. And nobody really speaks up to tell the police what actually was going on. And so I thought, what if there was one detective who questioned things a little further and it just sort of gave me my way into the story. So I always had that the whole time. The Great Gatsby is sometimes anointed with the title of the great American novel for the way it embodies the jazz age and frames the American dream. But it's also had its critics and is uh, possibly a frustrating read for some, particularly in its treatment of women. I wondered if you were looking to, uh, let's say, correct some of those failings, or were you simply trying to recast this story, this icon? You know, one of the things I'm always interested in as a writer in all of my books is point of view and just the idea that whoever is telling the story changes what the story is. And so that was really what I was looking to, to do here, just to think about how would the same story that we all know and we all read look completely different when Daisy and Jordan and Catherine and Myrtle are telling us what they're seeing versus what Nick is seeing. How do you avoid the traps in the process of writing? or recasting a legend. Yeah, I mean, I I think Beautiful Little Fools is very, you know, it's about the world of The Great Gatsby, but I think it stands on its own as its own novel. It's a murder mystery. It's about like women's lives at the time. I think someone could read Beautiful Little Fools and have never read The Great Gatsby and still sort of see it as this complete, you know, mystery historical novel on its own. So I think that was important to me. I, I wanted to make sure that it was my story and it, a completely separate story. But also I think if you know The Great Gatsby, you will definitely see lines of dialogue and from familiar scenes and things that you know from the original. So I think it just adds a little bit more to it. But yeah, you know, I just, I wanted it to still be my story, even though it's F. Scott Fitzgerald's story. Do you think knowing of The Great Gatsby rather than having read The Great Gatsby is enough background to enjoy this story? Yeah, I don't think you even have to know of The Great Gatsby, to, to be honest. I think if you do, you, you'll get an added level of enjoyment. But I think that the, the book is also works separately as a novel. And I guess The Great Gatsby is a pretty short read anyway. Yeah, it, it is. It's actually a pretty slim book. It's, it's shorter than my book. A number of your books fall into the category of historical fiction, including Half-Life about Marie Curie, The Hours Count, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, and Margot, and Frank's sister, Margot. Where does the attraction to historical fiction and these subjects begin for you? I think I'm always writing about um, strong women uh, and sort of telling feminist stories, whether I'm writing historical or contemporary or whether I'm you know, writing about a real person or a fictional person. So I'm just sort of drawn to women who were like me, but maybe living in a different time or a different place or a different circumstance and sort of finding relevant things that apply to us even today, I think. As a final question to you, I wondered if you are continually asking yourself, what if? Yes, I, I do. That's the writer brain working. I am continually asking myself, what if? And when I fall into an interesting enough one, that's when I usually find a new topic for a novel. And where does that question frequently take you? What kinds of directions do you pursue? <laughs> All directions. I have a very overactive imagination. 
Is there a lot of research involved or is it purely in your head? Well, I think the initial what if starts in my head, but you know, once I delve into history, there is usually a lot of research involved. Gillian Cantor, thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been talking to Gillian Cantor about her new book, Beautiful Little Fools. It's published by Simon & Schuster and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.